when you get your guitar put away, would you come over here for a second, Nate? He hates it when I do this. It's like, what's going to happen? I don't know. Just, uh... Um, have I ever told you what a sharp dresser you are? Yes. So, um, wow. yeah, why did you, other than just to be really cool, why did you choose that outfit this morning? It was the Holy Spirit. It was, <laughs> uh, see, our choices have consequences. He didn't know when he dressed that way that I was going to call him out and make him come up here and stand in front of all of you. Well, he does that anyway, but uh, thank you. You look great. Doesn't he look great? Yeah, he looks really great. Uh, choices have uh, consequences. Um, Seth, would you stand up? Now, some of you are new and you're like, man, this guy's brutal. I'm never coming back here again. I, I happen to know who I'm picking on and it, it's okay, although it's still a little uncomfortable. No, I didn't say sit down. Uh, you made a choice to tell your friends something about today, and that has a consequence. And Drew ratted you out. It's Seth's birthday. Let's sing happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday. Oh, you stand up. Do you? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Seth. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. You and I, we make choices all the time, and we never know what's going to happen as a result of those things, and sometimes what happens unfolds pretty quickly, and sometimes we wish we could wind back the clock just a little bit and change the choice we made. I was thinking about that this week, and just looking back on some of the uh, more ridiculous choices I've made in my life and some of the goofier ones. Uh, when I was a junior in high school, we moved into a new house, and uh, I loved the fact that every time you stepped on the front porch, it would make this... Uh, snapping sound, because it, it was a plywood under flooring kind of thing, and I never bothered to question why it made that noise, I just liked the noise, and what I didn't realize is they had used it as a temporary access to the sub uh, flooring, because it was a raised foundation, and they never finished building it out. And that was the reason it was making that noise. It actually wasn't very sturdy. So one night when my mom came to the door and said, hey, come on in, it's time for dinner, I thought, what a great time to make a grand entrance. And I went flying full speed across the driveway, leaped into the air, and planted my feet as hard as I possibly could so that I'd make a really loud crash on the porch, which I did as the entire thing collapsed under me. And the next thing I noticed, I was looking up at the floor joists underneath the house. And my mom, I don't remember what she said, but I know what she should have said. She should have leaned over and said, you're having salad tonight. <laughs> um, it was a choice that I could have wound back. That would have been cool. I just didn't know what was going to happen. I made a choice and the consequences just kind of unfolded. Like the time me and my five roommates were hiking and got really thirsty and decided the water of the stream looks clean. <laughs> And uh, it's flowing fast. Surely bugs can't be in fast-flowing water. And so we all drank as much as we wanted of that. And it was six guys with one bathroom, and that was not a pretty moment. Um, there are consequences to the choices we make. Now, sometimes those consequences take a little while to unfold, and, and they're, not always, they're not always humorous. They're not always hard. Sometimes they're awful. Sometimes they're amazing. But the choices we make will change things in the long run. 
like the choice my, actually my parents made for me, also when I was in junior and high school to switch churches. And uh, it was a church, our church stopped evening services, and in that day, you didn't do that. And so we went to this other church, and it was an evening service. And I remember after service, it was always more casual, and all the elementary students were running around. And I remember this one woman calling out to her daughter, a name I'd never, ever heard in my life before, Davette, come over here. And, uh, oh, that's right. She was in sixth grade, I was in 11th grade, and there was no love at first sight there. But things change over time, and we've been married for 32 years, and at one level, it's because of a choice to shift churches. Every choice you and I make has consequences. In fact, it would be true to say, at least at some level, now, let me, let me frame this first, right? God is sovereign, and our choices don't threaten his sovereignty. And yet, somehow, in his mysterious way, he works in partnership so that our choices actually do matter. And so it is a true statement to say, in one sense, my life is really the accumulation of choices that I've made. So how are you making your choices? That's the question I want to wrestle with this morning. How are you making your choices? Because your life will, in fact, look very much like the choices you make. I have this um, joy and this heartache all the time, interacting with people as they try to deal with life based on the choices they've made. And sometimes it's a joyful interaction, sometimes it's a very painful one. And uh, it is not true that if you do this, then this will always happen. That's important to remember. Sometimes in, in Christian circles, we get oversimplistic. So for instance, two sets of parents can both raise their children equally biblically, and one set of kids might thrive and the other might struggle. That's possible. It's also possible that two sets of parents might raise their kids equally poorly biblically, and one set of kids might thrive and one set of kids might struggle. But if you take 50 sets of parents who raise their kids very well biblically and 50 sets of parents who raise their kids poorly biblically, the difference will be dramatic. Because our, you know, there are consequences and our choices do matter. And so the life that I want to live is the life God has for me. It's clear from scripture that God has things designed. He has experiences that he wants me to go through. He's got things that will stretch me and shape my character. He wants to walk through hard places with me. He wants to pour out blessing and give me incredible joy. He's prepared works for me to walk in before the foundation of the world. And the question I have to ask in this series as we're talking about life in the spirit is how do I partner in that? How do I, on my part, join up with the sovereign, all-powerful God. And I don't know how all the mystery of that works out, but how do I make the choices that will put me in partnership most directly with the Spirit of God? And we're going to look at that for two weeks because it's so central, and I think there's a lot of questions and a lot of confusion. And we're going to look at it through two lenses. One is the normal lens, and the other one is through the disruptive lens. When we talk about working with the Spirit of God, he works in very normal means that are not all that surprising, and you don't go, whoa, did you see that? And then he works in these other means that are totally disruptive and, and interrupt the flow of life and, and break all kinds of expectations, and it's this miraculous experience. We're going to look at both of those. We're going to start with normal this week, and the reason we're doing that is because this is normal. 
This is the normal way God works. This is the normal way he intends for us to partner. This is the normal way he wants us to understand his will and walk in it. And sometimes when we look for partnering with the Spirit, we get so hung up on the disruptive that we miss there's so much already in place. And in fact, this has to be our anchor point. This has to be where we continually come back to, where we continually build from. This is like brick by brick, the building of the house that we live in. And the disruptive things are maybe like putting in the windows that let in light from the outside. So there are two words I want to give you for those of you that like to keep track. We're going to hang this whole thing on two words that are the normal working of God, and that is word and wisdom. Word and wisdom. There are more things that could be said, but I think those two will capture the bulk of what the scriptures have to say about partnering with the Spirit of God and walking in the life that he has for me, and that is focusing on the word and focusing on wisdom. And if you have a Bible, would you go ahead and open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 2? It's going to take me a little while to get there, but I will catch up with you. For these other verses, I would encourage you just to write down the reference if you want to look them up later. But it's a little hard to track with me quickly, and um, I've parked you in a section we'll look at in a minute. In John 14... Jesus is talking to his disciples about leaving, and in the middle of a thought, he says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. John 16, he's continuing his conversation, and he says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. One of the fundamental aspects of the Holy Spirit is that so foundational to his character, so foundational to his function as he works in our lives, is the idea of truth that he actually is named Spirit of Truth. That's a legitimate label to put on him to try to capture in some meaningful way who he is. He's the Spirit of Truth. And the primary means of truth is right here in our hands, the Word of God. So we're going to look at that in just a second. The Spirit of truth is the Spirit who authored the Word, who enlivens the Word for us, who helps us to understand its full implications, who convicts us of sin, and who empowers us to live this out. He is always and forever and continually and predominantly going to be working here. The Spirit of truth loves truth, and he loves the Word of God, and he's given the Word of God for us and for you and me Though this is what we spend so much time in, this is actually the centerpiece. That's why we spend so much time there. It shouldn't become common. It is how God speaks and how he works. And we're going to look at a few key things to ask ourselves the question, how much are we building this into our lives? Before we ever get to something you know, hair-raising and unusual, we have to start here because this is the foundation it's all going to be built on. Let me read you another verse. This one's in Ephesians, and Paul is now talking to these believers, and picking it up in the middle of his thought, he says, uh, remembering you in my prayers, and here's what he's praying, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. So the Holy Spirit is the author of wisdom, the purveyor of wisdom, the communicator of wisdom, the partner of wisdom, the one who guides us into wisdom, the one who grows us in wisdom. Wisdom is so foundational to, to who he is and how he interacts with us that it's a legitimate label to say he's the spirit of wisdom. 
So, before we ever get to the unusual workings of God, those disruptive things that are real and we'll look at next week, let's look at the more normal means because they're intended to be the normal flow of our lives. The Word of God and wisdom. Hopefully you have your Bible open by now to um, 1 Corinthians 2. And let me read one more verse before I jump in there. I want to remind you from Scripture, there's a lot of verses we could develop. We don't actually have time for that. But I want to anchor everything in Scripture so that it's not just my thoughts here. The Holy Spirit is integrally involved with everything related to Scripture. First, uh, 2 Peter 1 says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, in a divine human partnership, authored this. If I want God to speak in my life, one of the first things I have to do is say, What has He already said? And look at that. Now, second, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, I'm sorry, 2. There's words and numbers coming out of my mouth, I don't know. 1 Corinthians 2, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 10. Paul's talking about his message and how people have received it and this idea of what is true wisdom, and he's saying this is wisdom from God, it's not wisdom from the earth. And then he develops his argument, starting in verse 10, this way. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. In other words, the spirit is ultimately the author of the message I'm passing on to you. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So wherever we look in the scriptures, we can find all throughout, that the Word of God is the foundation. It's where wisdom comes from. It's where understanding comes from. It's truth. It's to shape our lives. It's what makes us who we are in the hands of the Holy Spirit who has authored it, who is working in and through and around my engagement with the Word so that I understand its implications for my life, so that it comes to me with power, so that I am convicted of sin, so that I am desiring to move into whatever it's showing me, and He is the one then who empowers me to live in light of that. And that's the absolute starting point. If we want to talk about being guided by the Spirit of God and how God works in my life, I have to start here. And a fundamental question I have to ask has to do with how do I approach this? In fact, how do I approach the Word or even the will of God? A really good question to ask is when I'm asking what does God want, do I really want to know the answer to that question? Am I, am I looking to be a discerner or a decider, because those are two very different things. God has spoken, he has a will and he has a purpose. Do I actually wanna know that? Or am I just looking for him to confirm things and maybe help me over a rough patch? So many times I'll have people who I'm interacting with who are struggling actually with the consequences of the choices of their lives 
And fundamentally, it comes down to at some point, I know what God says, but I don't want to do that. Often, often when a marriage kind of deteriorates, um, at the heart of it is something to do with this. Somewhere, there's a breakdown in actually listening to and following God. And, and one or both spouses will come in, and at that point, they at least say they're ready for a change. Now, sometimes they're ready for their spouse to change. Um, and sometimes they both say, we're ready to change. But here's the thing about change in that kind of context. It's hard to do. So what we often mean when we say we need to change is, uh, we need to change. Change is good. You go first. Right? And, and, and what I have to do if I'm going to actually get this partnership with the Spirit of God is I have to understand he's already spoken. And there's a lot of things I'm asking questions. He's already answered things that I'm paying no attention to. The first stop in my journey of discerning God's will for my life is to say, am I first fully obedient to what he's already saying? I won't even be able to understand him if I don't posture my heart in obedience. That's actually one of the themes that's developing in the book of John. A group of guys and I are going through the book and over and over again, there's words to this effect. You guys don't get what God is saying because you're unwilling to do what God is saying. And if your heart were open to God, you'd understand. But because you've hardened your heart and you're unwilling to do what he's going to tell you, why would he tell you anyway? You're not going to get it. If I'm unwilling to do what he's already showing me, why would I expect him to say more? Fundamental to partnering with God and understanding his will and living a life in partnership with the Spirit is a full obedience to what he says. Starting with, here's, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, those kinds of statements, which are plenty, but extending beyond that, because there's a lot God has said at a bigger level. Like, what makes a good life? Not morally, that's in there too, but the good life, the life that's virtuous, the life that's meaningful, the life that's significant, the life that matters. What makes that? He's told us. How many of us have adopted his definition and let that shape our lives? And how many of us are trying to live another definition, one that we've written or one that's been given to us by the world around us? Because there's a lot of definitions and most of them are bad. God has said in simple terms your life is either doxo-missional or it is not Christian at all. Are you living a doxo-missional life? Because if you're not, you are living what is literally a non-Christian life. Doxo meaning glory. Is your life centered on God and his glory? And are you on mission with him? Missional meaning missional. Right? Just what it sounds like. God has made this universe for a purpose that will ultimately glorify him. And he's invited us into that. And whatever else I'm doing in my life, however that plays out, however that applies, whether that's being an accountant or a missionary or a garbage collector, whether that's a student or a child at play or an elderly person trying to end their life with dignity and lasting out their days to the glory of God, it is always centered on the glory of God and what he's wanting to accomplish in this world. That's the only definition for life. Any other definition is out of whack. So if I want to partner with God, that's the first place I have to start is, am I listening to what this says, literally point by point, and then the overall thrust of this. By the way, that last statement is actually not, not controversial. 
for anyone who's read the scriptures, it is emphatically obvious to just read the scriptures, it is about God and his glory and his mission, period. So, start there. Am I obedient to what he's showing me? Am I looking to discern and follow, or am I looking to decide and hope for some good input from him? Because the Spirit's working through the Word, and that's where it starts. And another level, kind of getting maybe even more um, specific in my life, is that over time, as I read the Word, it shapes me. Romans 12, 2 says, our minds, are, our minds being renewed is how our lives change. Part of that renewal is that I'm shaped by the word of God. That passage we read in 1 Corinthians 2 ends by saying we have the mind of Christ. Fundamental to following God, following Jesus, partnering with the Spirit, is learning to think God's thoughts after him and then following. Starts here because this is also the source that will shape the wisdom that he gives us. So am I reading this? Am I saturating myself with this? to the point that it's actually reshaping me? Am I reading this just as a devotional book, as a self-help book, um, as something where I've got questions I'm trying to answer and, and just pursue those things, just as a, kind of a liturgy for worship? It is all those things, by the way. Those, those aren't negative things. Those are good things. But am I, am I reading it broadly enough and significantly enough that it actually changes the way that I think, the way that I perceive? Or do I listen to the world around me? Because the world around me doesn't see things rightly. And it's pretty split, right? You probably haven't noticed, but we live in a country that's pretty polarized. And, it, it, and at the risk of being a little bit reductionistic, I think this will still work and carry the point. Um, we, we tend to polarize at least at one level along a couple of narratives. One narrative is that uh, the story of our culture is written in terms of victims and victimizers. That's a pretty big narrative. Now there's some truth in that narrative, but there's also some serious flaws. The other end of the spectrum, there's this narrative that says what it's actually about is responsibility and reward, right? You do these things, and this is the result of that, and I'm not helping you unless I'm pointing you to this. Now, there's some truth in that narrative, too, but there's also some pretty significant flaws. And if I want to watch the news or listen to social media or talk to friends at school or around the water cooler at work or listen to talk radio, boy, Often they're going to be in one camp or the other and lobbing grenades across the aisle. Neither of them actually goes deep enough because both of those are rooting the whole narrative in how I treat you and how you treat me and there's no accountability beyond ourselves. And as a follower of Jesus, I have to understand actually the foundation for your dignity is that you're made in the image of God. And the foundation for my responsibility is that I'm accountable to God for how I treat you and how I honor his name. And wrestling with that may not give me a clear political pathway. The politics may be really gnarly, right? I'm, I'm not trying to suggest a political agenda because that's really a challenging question. 
I'm trying to suggest as we look at those kinds of questions, though, we need to look a whole lot deeper than the cultural narrative. And I've chosen that one because, A, we can see that pretty easily in our culture, and B, it actually comes all the way down. It is totally scalable. How many of us approach our interactions with God from the sense of responsibility and reward? God, I've been doing it. Therefore, And how many of us are at the other end? God, it's not, I, I can't help it. It's, you know, you haven't done, or this is too hard, or they said. And, and the actual truth is, is spread over that whole thing. Some people are victimized, and some people are victimizers, and responsibility and reward are part of a system that's going to work, and God's in all of that, and it's all rooted in him. And even at a personal level, what I do matters, yes, and there are good consequences that come from that. But there's also just grace. And what's happened to me affects things, but it doesn't define me. All of that, that whole spectrum, and we live in a world that's saying this or it's saying this, and, and we gotta say, wait a minute, what does this say? Whether it's about my politics or whether it's about my own approach to God or how I raise my family or what I do in my job or what my life dream is or how I look at the end of life, all of these things I can't just let the world around me define it because it's messed up. And in and of myself, I'm messed up too. That's why God's given this to me. That's why the Holy Spirit works. And that's why I need to just be in this to partner with God, to understand his will. I have to let this continually reshape me and bring myself under it so that I'm willing to obey. One more aspect, getting a little bit more specific and personal still, is that God sometimes uses his word and the Holy Spirit will use his word to prompt me in specific ways. And the more uh, dramatic that is, the closer we get to what we're gonna talk about next week, which is those uh, kind of disruptive moments. So it's not always a clean break, but God uses his word to speak to a specific issue, whether that's gossip or gluttony or immorality, sexual sin, right? It's in black and white. God uses his word to set a bigger trajectory and boundaries for life. Here's what it's about. Here's what a good life is. Here's how you join me in that. And then there's a whole lot of things in my life that may not be directly spoken to by that, and yet God will still use his word. I always, 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 always want to understand what the original author intended for the original readers. That's the meaning of the text. There's only one, and that's always it. Applications can be broader. And one more thing, because this is all God's word, it's all truth. Sometimes there are truths embedded in that story that may speak to other circumstances. And if I'm careful, part of training myself by being saturated by the word so I don't contradict, but if I'm careful, the Holy Spirit actually might lift something right out of that and say, hey, right now, this is the truth I want you to hear. I mentioned one last week from a pattern of reading that I try to do where I'll read the scriptures to try to understand its intent for the original audience and work with whatever applications that brings, but then also try to read it and say in this moment, God, is there anything you want to highlight for me? And I, was, I told you last week, if you were here, that there was, I was feeling some stress and it was, it was stressful. And, um, and, and I was reading about Jesus walking in the water and it was freaking out the disciples and it was, it was Jesus coming towards them that scared them and he says, it's me, don't be afraid. And suddenly the Holy Spirit said, hey, I'm talking to you. 
the stuff that's coming at you is me. Don't be afraid. I got this. Right? That wasn't in the intention of the gospel writer, but it was a truth the Holy Spirit lifted out and, and pointed for me. Right? In our life group later in the evening, we started sharing some stories about how God worked, and um, his prompting can sometimes get even more pointed. My wife shared a story from our past that actually is one that I have told um, in my Biola class when we talk about discerning God's voice because it's a pretty clear example. Um, this is quite a few years ago, and her grandparents, we didn't know where they stood with the Lord, and um, were really concerned. Now, they'd heard the gospel again and again and again and again. So we were also concerned about just kind of shoving something down their throat. That doesn't help anyone. So there's this tension point of saying, we don't know where grandma and grandpa stand. We want them to know Jesus. We're concerned about their eternal destiny. We're concerned about their relationship with him right now. They've heard all of this. What do we do? We're going back for the holiday season like we often did. And um, this was a burden and heavier on her, of course. And so she was especially wrestling. I was studying late. And uh, she was already in bed, and she was praying, and she was journaling, she was doing all of those things, and she set it all aside and, and started to go to sleep. And then she woke up, kind of with a start, and she reached over with stuff, because I was still in her heart. She was, she was just praying and, and, and wrestling with, what do we do? Do we go home and tell them one more time, or is that going to be the most destructive thing? How do, we, how do we handle this, God? What are we supposed to do? And so she picked up her Bible, and as she did, she had a packet of memory cards, and they fell onto the ground. And so she reaches over, she scoops them up, and puts them back, and said, wouldn't it be funny if God spoke to me through one of those? And as she was doing that, she saw one down on the ground, and she picked it up, and she looked at it, and it was Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And she looked at that and said, nah, you're going to have to do better than that and put it down. <laughs> Why? Well, she doesn't want to be credulous. Oh, God. Uh. It's like she's taking this seriously. But as she put it down, she noticed one more card that had kind of fallen just under the bed. She picked it up and she read it and immediately burst into tears. And that's when I walked in the room. What's the matter? And she said, this is holy ground. Because when she picked up that card, by the way, it had diversion, two different versions, and the other side read completely differently. But when she picked up that card, she read Mark 5, 19. I was back when neither of us needed glasses to read it, but that's long gone. And here's what it says, Mark 5, 19. Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Now, I don't know what you make of that. I make of it God is saying, hey, I have an idea. Why don't you go home to your family and tell them all the good things God's done? I think that's an answer to prayer. Right, and it's starting, at that point, it's even starting to go, well, is this disruptive or not? It, it's the normal means. It's the word that's already written. There was no wah. It didn't need the wah. It was so obvious God's in that. The Holy Spirit works through the word of God. He works sometimes quietly, sometimes more dramatically, but the word of God is what he authored, and it is what he is constantly stirring up in us, and he is bringing it to us with conviction, and he is empowering us to live it out, and he's going to challenge us, he's going to guide us, he's going to encourage us, and if I'm going to partner with God and discern his will, it starts here. The spirit of truth is about the word of God. So the question that I need to ask 
is am I. You may be looking for God to speak into your life and you're not taking this very seriously. Stop. Uh, He's gracious. He might do something. He can always do that. He's sovereign and he's gracious. But you just need to stop. It's broken right there. He's speaking already. Doesn't need to tell you something extraordinary. He's already told you a lot of things that are extraordinary. And he wants you to visit him here. So start there. Second word is wisdom. These go hand in glove because the Holy Spirit actually uses the word of God to shape our minds and our wisdom. You can go ahead and open to James chapter one, would you please? I'll read a couple of verses first and catch up with you there. James chapter one. The spirit of wisdom. I've already quoted this one. Well, let me read it again. Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want you to be able to discern. I want you to have wise insight and be able to understand what it is that God is saying. I want you to be wise as your mind is renewed. Acts 15, we talked briefly about last week. There's a controversy. Christianity arises out of Judaism. Jesus is a Jew. Paul's a Jew. James, John, Peter, they're all Jews. And then Gentiles start coming to faith. And one of the questions is, do you have to go back and kind of pick up Jewishness along the way? Or because Jesus has started something fresh, but it's rooted in Judaism. So do we have to pick up that, kind of backfill that, or do we go forward from here? And there's a big question, and there's all kinds of debate. And they gather together, and As they're talking, at the end of that, James says these words, it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Basically, you don't have to become Jewish to be Christian. That statement, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, is a really significant statement. I think it says wisdom is at work. God is surfacing a conviction amongst those people. There's not reference to any great spiritual breakthrough where the Holy Spirit says something dramatic. It's mostly conversation. And there are people with different viewpoints, but the viewpoints that carry the day are anchored in the truth that Peter shares, the Peter that Paul and Barnabas share, and James, by the time they're done, says, guys, everyone knows what the Spirit is saying. We all get it. This is what he says. And it's just this wisdom that has risen up within them, this discernment in the moment where they are thinking the thoughts of God after him. And God hasn't done, as far as we can tell, anything dramatic to get them there. I want to give you three words for this wisdom part that'll help. If you want to grow in wisdom, these three words will help. Wait, wait, want. There's your three words. Wait, wait, want. Wait, W-E-I-G-H-T. Wait, W-A-I-T. Want, W-A-N-T. Those three labels will help me really grab hold of the biblical, spiritual Wisdom that the Spirit wants. Wait, wait, and want. And you should hopefully be in James chapter 1. So let's read that last passage and then talk about these three words. If anyone lacks wisdom, I'm reading from verse 5. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach 
will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded. In other words, he can't decide if he wants to decide or discern. Like, ah, I don't know. Say, well, then you're stuck because God's not going to play that game. But if you're committed by God's grace, not by your great power, but by God's grace, you're committed to say, yeah, I want to follow you. You give me the grace. I'll do it. Ask. Ask for wisdom. He will give it. He will give it in abundance. He will help you to see things differently and in a way that you can naturally slash supernaturally so perhaps better quietly, but supernaturally, because it's a partnership with the Spirit, discern what God wants. And that discernment can be unpacked using these three words, wait, W-E-I-G-H-T. One of the things the Spirit will help me to see, in fact, one of the things that I will often pray personally when I'm wrestling with something is, Lord, you know, if he hasn't chosen to speak more directly, Lord, help me to see the things in this circumstance that actually matter the most and those that are really secondary. In other words, I'm asking him to highlight some things and flatten out other things because I want to weigh, not just count. If we took a vote, we would be counting, right? If we say, what should we do? 52 people say this and 49 people say that. We're going to do what the 52 people say because we're counting. If I'm weighing, though, what's 52 and 49? That's 101, Yeah, we could have 99 people say one thing and two people say the other and actually do what the two people say and that might be the right thing because it depends on who the two people are and what they're actually saying. Not everything that comes out is equally important. All right, there are certain people in this room who walk up to me and the moment they walk up to me, if they have any kind of serious conversation, they immediately have my full and undivided attention because they have earned that. They have that kind of spiritual stature and wisdom. There are other people for whom that's not true. Not because I like them less, but because what they're saying has not proven, at least at this point, to be that aligned with the Spirit of God. Weighing things, whether it's my own thoughts or the voices around me, that's why being in community is so important. That's You know, in Jerusalem, there were other people who were making other arguments, but when Peter and Barnabas and Paul spoke, I suspect part of the traction was Peter and Barnabas and Paul spoke. And they had more weight. Um, The house we live in actually is a result of a prayer based on this. We had a short time to make a decision. And we're just trying to decide, is this the house we should get or not? I don't know, Lord. And uh, I prayed first, and part of my prayer was, Lord, help us to see the things that are most important. And the things that aren't so important, help them to fade into the background. And then when I was done, Davette prayed, and by the time she was done and we got up off our knees, we had both concluded, it would probably be sinful for us not to do this, because God has now shown us. And it was in even how she was praying. And she didn't realize it because she was just engaging with God. I was the one who was engaging with God while listening. And it was all, oh, 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 there it is, there it is, there it is. And thing after thing, it was like, I'm speaking right now. See that? That's important. That other thing you thought wasn't. This is important. This is important. It was just weighing things. And so suddenly it became much more clear. The Holy Spirit is shaping my heart and my mind and my very desires. Psalm 37 Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. 
That's not a magic wand to get all the candy. That's a much more significant statement that says, as I delight myself in God, I'm being shaped by that delight. And the very things that God wants become the things that I want, and then those are given to me because that's the right thing. A a fundamental question for weighing things, a, a prayer that's well worth praying is, Lord, help me discern my own heart in this. Help me to understand what I truly want. This has to be, has to be constrained by a Bible-shaped, submissive heart and life. Otherwise, that's actually a dangerous thing to pray because my desires are all over the place. But my conscience, my thoughts, my heart, my mind can all be shaped and trained to line up more with God. Dallas Willard basically said, hey, become like Jesus and then just do whatever's in front of you because it'll happen pretty naturally. Or if you like a little more highfalutin, Augustine said it this way. He said, love God and do what you like. And that's what he meant. Let your life with God shape you and then that shape will naturally have a weighing ability. Ask God to highlight, ask him to show you, but weigh things. Don't just listen to everything that's out there what actually is truly wise and of God. Weight, the second weight is just some space. We ask God, do we stop and sit and give him space to talk? Or even if he doesn't talk, to kind of grow a conviction within us? I was talking with somebody recently who was kind of wrestling with some changes in their life and they were pretty significant changes. Should I do this or should I do this? And, and one of the things involved a ministry that they were pretty involved in that had been pretty dry for them and not very fruitful. And there were other things that they could do that they were more attracted to in general, but they, weren't, they didn't feel free, and so they were praying and just waiting. And over time, a conviction grew. I can't tell you how, it just kind of did. And decided, I guess, I need to keep this, which means I need to let go of some of these other things I thought would be good. Within a few weeks after that choice, it was a ministry actually involving children that had seen no evident much of anything. There were like a dozen kids who came to faith. Bang, 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 bang. It was suddenly incredibly fruitful. No way to see that on the front end, and there was no choirs of angels and clouds and weird faces and tortillas and stuff like that. (laughs) It was just a growing conviction that God was using. And so there was a waiting process, praying. You said, ask for wisdom. I'm asking, and then I'm giving you space to grow it in me. Want. It's the last one that we're going to talk about this morning anyway, and that is what do I want? What do I want? Where's God at work? The, the providential fingerprints of God, if he's active, he's shaped me, he's given me certain abilities and passions, and he's put me in certain places and contexts. What makes sense? Again, constrained by this bigger reality, but that's a really valid and important decision-making process that is part of biblical wisdom. It's part of the wisdom of the Spirit. I'm about to head out to Cambodia with a group from here. And uh, first time we went, uh, first time I went was in 2012, and I met this guy in Kampong Tom, which is where we're going to go. His name is Sokun. At least that's the way I say his name. I, he might tell you differently, but that's the best I can do. Um, he's a teacher who knows English 
And he views those as gifts from God, actually. Um, I, you know, he's given me the ability to teach. He, he put me in context where I could learn English really well, and his English is really good. And giving me linguistics ability that I can actually not only understand it, but pronounce it, because Khmer and English are really far apart tonally. It's really hard to transfer back and forth, and his English is beautiful. And he looks at that as that's something God's given me, and I'm passionate to do these things. And he's in this area in Kampong Tom, and he notices all these kids around, and he says, you know, the easiest way, or one of the easiest ways, to raise about everything about their life is teach them English. So he starts teaching them English, and he teaches them in these different villages. Pretty soon, he's got all these kids that are coming regularly. They're learning to speak English, but along the way, they're learning about him, and they're learning about his God, and a bunch of these little kids start becoming followers of Jesus, and their parents are going, hey, they're learning English and there's something changing in them. I want to go learn English too. And they start learning English and they start learning about Sukun and about his God and a bunch of them become followers of Jesus as well. And pretty soon in five different villages, he has scores of people that are all these new believers. There's no churches around. He's like, ah, I guess I'm a pastor. And he planted, by the time I met him, five churches by accident just because I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm passionate about English. I'm passionate about teaching. God's given me those gifts. I'm blessed to be a blessing. And here's all this stuff happening. There's nobody else around. I think that must be God's calling on my life. That's what I want to do. And there's a whole group of these villages that are in a, a circle route. And one of them is actually named Circle of Glory. And so that's his dream. I, I, I can't wait if I get to see him, if that dream's been met yet. He wants to see the glory of God in all of those villages. And he's training up other people to pastor because it's really hard to pastor one church, much less five. And I don't know how many he'll have if he plants all of them. So he's hoping to raise up other people. But there's no moment from God. It's just, this is who God made me to be. This is the opportunity in front of me. This is what makes sense. And God's actually in that. If my heart and my life are shaped by his word and by his spirit... That's a very powerful way God works. And that's a moment, whether I feel anything unusual or not, that's a moment when I'm partnering with the Spirit. The Spirit of God wants to work and is working in my life and in your life, and he wants me to be in step with him. And at the very foundation, two things before anything else. It's about the word, and it's about the wisdom he grows me in. And then next week, we'll look at some of the other stuff, because that's real too. But this is the foundation. Is it yours? Is it yours? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace and thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the word. We don't have to guess what you think about so many things. You just help us to take it in deeply, study it diligently, and be reshaped by constant reading. May we be open to how you use it in our lives and careful in how we use it. And Lord, would you grow us in wisdom shape us so that our desires and our hearts and our minds are more and more in line with you. And may we be able to follow your guiding providentially and through the word and through normal means. And Lord, when you choose to do something more disruptive, may we be open to that too. But would you guide us to walk in step with you? We offer our lives to you, Lord. Even this offering we give right now, we do so because You're God worthy of worship. This is one of the ways we show that. It's part of our lives because we want to honor you. And so I just pray that you would use this for the sake of your name. Amen.